Welcome. And again, I say welcome to the broadcast today here at 24-7 World Radio with Brother Eric John Phelps coming to minister to you the Word of God and true history, especially with regards to the Protestant Reformation, which most Americans know nothing about anymore because we've been a completely paganized and, uh, and robbed people of our history, of the wonderful doctrine that broke the Pope's temporal power. <clears throat> And now we've been reduced to being the servants of the papacy since March 9th, 1933, when the Jesuits took this place over, imposed in emergency war power military government has used our blood and treasure for the purposes of restoring the Pope's temporal power around the world. So therefore you've got to control education, you've got to put education in the hands of the federal government, the national government, which the Jesuits totally control, and make sure that these kinds of things are never taught to the dear American children in our schools. So I want to continue today with the wonderful history of the good and the godly, the great Martin Luther. And I'm always going to mention, when I talk about him, I'm always going to mention how he never wrote on the Jews and their lies. It was not his theology, nor was it his style of writing. And I will show to you in that filthy little work that the Jesuits authored after his death. It was in no 1543, three years, two years, two, three years before he died. It was after his death where he couldn't address it. But the Jesuits would concoct this filthy lying forgery to blame the great Martin Luther that God used to break the spiritual and temporal power of the Pope all over all over, all over Europe. And uh, I will deal with this on Friday. It'll be the last half hour on the first hour on the Friday. I'll deal with uh, Luther's large catechism, larger catechism, also with this love forgery on the Jews and their lies. And so hopefully we can bring Luther to the place where he wants occupied, and that is the, the utter respect of the historic white Protestant nations that were born out of the Protestant Reformation with um, thanks to Martin Luther that the Lord used him, this wonderful white man, this Saxon, which race the devil hates and is sought to decimate it during the last 200 years. So we're going to continue on here now with the history of the Reformation, and particularly Martin Luther. And I want to start out here with, um, with Martin Luther in the work History of Romanism by John Dowling, that was written in 1845. And it's going to be a series of readings. Out of this. So we read on page 449, after dealing with Tetzel, we have the beginning of the Reformation where Luther puts up his, his, um, his 95 theses, and certain of them I will read to you from page 446, 447 in John Dowling's work, The History of Romanism. <clears throat> Much alarmed, these inhabitants of Wittenberg quickly returned to Tetzel and told him that an Augustan monk treated his letters with contempt. Tetzel, at this, bellowed with anger. He held forth in the pulpit, used, used insulting expressions and curses, and to strike the people with more terror, he had a fire lighted several times in the Grand Square and declared that he was ordered by the Pope to burn the heretics who should dare to oppose his most holy indulgences. By the way, Tetzel was a Dominican. 
And at this time, the horrible, wicked, bloodthirsty, unholy office of the Inquisition was raging all across Europe. And Tetzel was one of those Dominican inquisitors. It's used by Pope Leo X to raise money to build his Vatican in Rome through fear and fright and heresy. So we read here, <clears throat> number 79, section 79. The first courageous step was taken by Luther on the 31st of October, 1517. On the evening that, of that day, he went boldly to the church toward which the superstitious crowds of pilgrims were flocking, and affixed to the door 95 theses or propositions against the doctrine of indulgences, which he declared himself ready to defend. A few of these noble protestations against the popish abomination of indulgences are given as specimens of the whole. Now remember, whenever you hear Protestantism, you must think of the protestations or the thesis of Luther. All these things Protestants protested, and true Baptists at the time, because Baptists came before Protestants. We held to the doctrines of grace and the true New Testament doctrine justified by faith long before the Protestant Reformation. So, <clears throat> Protestants should always be thinking about Luther's 95 protestations against the doctrines of the papacy, which was the beginning of the Protestant Reformation on October 31st, 1517. Well, here's one of the ones on the list. Number 21. The commissioners of indulgences are in error in saying that through the indulgence of the Pope, man is delivered from all punishment and saved. Number 27. Those persons preach human inventions who pretend that at the very moment when the money sounds in the strong box, the soul escapes from purgatory. Number 28. This is certain that as soon as the money sounds, avarice and love of gain come in, grow, and multiply. But the assistance and prayers of the church depend only on the will and good pleasure of God. See, God is subject. <laughs> so, he says the, the prayers of the church depend only on the will and good pleasure of God, which is revealed in the word of God, which I didn't want to talk about. Number 32. Those who fancy themselves sure of their salvation by indulgences will go to the devil with those who teach them this doctrine. Luther is absolutely right. This is the reputation of Luther. Number 36. Every Christian who feels true repentance for his sins has perfect remission from the punishment and from the sin without the need of indulgences. Amen. Number 37. Every true Christian, dead or living, is a partaker of all the riches of Christ or of the church by the gift of God and without any letter of indulgence. Amen. We must teach Christians that if they have no superfluity, they are bound to keep for their families wherewith to procure necessities, but they ought not to waste their money on indulgences. Number 40, 50. We must teach Christians that if the Pope knew the exactions of the preachers of indulgences, he would rather that the Metropolitan Church of St. Peter were burnt to ashes than to see it built up with the skin, the flesh, and bones of his flock. This is before Luther completely woke up to the wickedness of the Pope, that the Pope was in on this, having said Tetzel. 52. The Pope to be saved by indulgences is to hope in lies and vanity, even although the commissioner of indulgences, nay, though even the Pope himself should pledge his own soul in attestation of their efficacy. So, 
How did Tesla reply to this? <laughs> Paragraph 80. Tetzel, in reply to the thesis of Luther, and out of revenge for his miserable defeat, when endeavoring to defend some thesis of his own, in opposition to Luther's then held recourse to the ultimate ratio of Rome and its inquisitors, the fire. He set up a pulpit and a scaffold in one of the suburbs of Frankfurt. He went thither in solemn procession, arrayed in the ins insignia of an inquisitor, of the faith, because remember, he was a Dominican. The Dominicans ran the Inquisition. He invaded in his most furious manner from the pulpit. He hurled his thunders with an unsparing hand and loudly exclaimed that, quote, the heretic Luther ought to be burned alive, unquote. Then, placing the doctor's propositions and sermon on the scaffold, he set fire to them. He showed greater dexterity, dexterity, in this operation than he had displayed in defending his thesis. Here, <clears throat> there were none to oppose him, and his victory was complete. The arrogant Dominican re-entered Frankfurt in triumph. When parties accustomed to power have sustained defeat, they have recourse to certain shows and semblances which must be allowed them as a consolation for their disgrace. So, he wants to kill Luther. He wants to burn him with fire. This is typical of the Holy Office of the Inquisition. If you want the complete history on the Inquisition, you must read the tremendous work by H.C. Leah called The History of the Inquisition. Henry C. Leah is the classic work. Another classic work is by Lorente on the Inquisition. You have those two works by Leah and Lorette. You have all you need to know about the filthy, wicked, sinful, bloody, murderous Spanish Inquisition and Roman Inquisition, because there were two locations. Continuing now on page 449, we read uh, paragraph 82 of Dowling's History of Romanism. On the 13th of May, 1518, Luther addressed a letter to Pope Leo, of which the following are extracts. Quote, To the most blessed father, Pope Leo X, Supreme Bishop, Brother Martin Luther and Augustine, that means an Augustinian monk, wishes eternal salvation. I hear, most holy father, that evil reports circulate concerning me, and that my name is in bad order with your holiness. I am called a heretic, an apostate, a traitor, and a thousand other reproachful names. What I see surprises me, and what I hear alarms me, but the sole foundation of my tranquility remains unmoved, being a pure and quiet conscience. O Holy Father, deign to hearken to me, who am but a child and need instruction." Unquote. Uh, Luther then relates this the affair from the beginning, and thus proceeds, quote, Nothing was heard in all the taverns but complaints of the avarice of the priests, attacks on the power of the keys, and the supreme bishop. I call all Germany to witness. When I heard these things, my zeal was aroused for the glory of Christ. If I understand my own heart, or if another construction uh, is to be put on my conduct, my young and warm blood was inflamed. I represented the matter to certain princes of the church, but some laughed at me and others turned a deaf ear. The awe of your name seemed to have made all motionless. 
Thereupon I published this dispute. This, then, Holy Father, this is the action which has been said to have set the world in a flame. And now what am I to do? I cannot retract what I have said. And I see that this publication draws down on me from all sides an inexpressible hatred. I have no wish to appear in the great world, for I am unlearned, of small wit, and far too inconsiderable for such great matters, more especially in this illustrious age, when Cicero himself, if he were living, would be constrained to hide himself in some dark corner. But in order to appease my enemies and satisfy the desires of my friends, I here publish my thoughts. I publish them, Holy Father, that I may dwell the more safely under your protection. All those who desire it may here see with what simplicity of heart I have petitioned the supreme authority of the church to instruct me, and what respect I have manifested for the power of the keys. Those are the two keys. Gold key, silver key, spiritual power, temporal power. Spiritual power, 606, given to Boniface the third. Temporal power given in 756 to Stephen II. Done by, not by the scriptures, but by tyrants. And if I had not acted with propriety, it would have been impossible for the serene Lord Frederick, Duke and Elector of Saxony, who shines foremost among the friends of the apostolic and Christian truth, should have endured that one, so dangerous as I am asserted to be, should continue in his uni uh, University of Wittenberg. <clears throat> Therefore, most holy father, I throw myself at the feet of your holiness and submit myself to you with all that I have and all that I am. Destroy my cause or espouse it. Pronounce either for or against me. Take my life or restore it as you please. I will receive your voice as that of Christ himself, who presides and speaks through you. If I have deserved death, I refuse not to die. The earth is the Lord's and, the full, and all that's therein, therein is. May he be praised forever and ever. May he maintain you in all eternity. Amen. Signed this day of the Holy Trinity, year 1518, Brother Martin Luther Augustine. So, he appeals to the Pope to correct him if he's wrong with his 95 theses. You see, now, because the Pope runs the government of Germany, and with regard to Luther, the Frederick, the elector of Saxony, the elector means that he was an elector of the Holy Roman Empire. So do you see now how the preaching of the true gospel in resisting the papacy is always going to go political? It can't help but go political because the papacy runs the politics or the leaders at this time, just like it does today. And so when the true gospel is preached from the true Bible, it will always go political. And that's how we got the Reformation. That's how we got white Protestant Western civilization. That's how we got white Protestant and Baptist America, of these United States of America, when the gospel went political and began to call upon the political lords to submit themselves to the limitations of government as set forth in the Bible to protect life, liberty, and property, or in him we live, move, and have our being, Acts chapter 17, verse 28, to separate the gospel and the preaching of the truth from Temporal or political affairs is a great sin, and this is what, unfortunately, the premillennial dispensationalists have done for the last hundred, hundred and twenty years. And I was a victim of that heresy.
even though premillennialism is correct and it was espoused 100 years before John Nelson Darby, the doctrine of the Reformation is that we are to resist evil unto blood, striving against sin, especially when it goes into the political arena. 100 years before John Nelson Darby, the doctrine of the Reformation is that we are to resist evil unto blood, striving against sin, especially when it goes into the political arena. This is what Luther did. Continuing on with the history of Martin Luther and the Protestant Reformation, without which we, like, without which I wouldn't have this broadcast today. Okay. So we'll just make it real personal. Now, the Pope Leo X blasted Luther for this letter that he received. And so what he does is he sends a notice to Cardinal Cajetan de Ville, and this is what he informs Cajetan to do, the Pope. He says, we, remember the Pope always speaks in we because he's demon-possessed. We charge you to compel the aforesaid Luther to appear before you in person, to prosecute and reduce him to submission without delay. As soon as you shall have received this our order, he having already been declared a heretic by our dear brother Jerome, Bishop of Ascalon, for this proposed and vote the power and assistance of our very dear son in Christ, Maximilian, and the other princes of Germany. Maximilian is the Holy Roman Emperor. He's the most powerful man in Europe. And by the providence of God, the Lord's going to remove him. He's going to put Charles V in his place. And Charles V will waver, and he will not play the tyrant. And ultimately, the Reformation will succeed in Germany. And if you read Prescott's Three Volume Set in Charles V, you will find that Charles V would resign as Holy Roman Emperor and enter into a convent of sorts and be a gardener for the rest of his life. You see what God is able to do when the man of God is full of the Spirit of God, he has no sin in his life that he's aware of, and he's preaching his heart out and preaching to the political leaders at the time. You see what God is able to do? But going on. And of all the communities, universities, and potentates, whether ecclesiastical or secular, and when you have secured his person, cause him to be detained in safe custody, that he may be brought before us. If he should return to a sense of his duty and ask pardon for so great an offense, freely and of his own accord, we give you power to receive him into the unity of Holy Mother Church. If you fail to get possession of his person, we give you power to prescribe him in all places in Germany, to put away, curse, and excommunicate all those who are attached to him, and to enjoin all Christians to shun their society. And to the end, Christians mean Catholics, okay? There aren't Protestants at this time. I should probably ought to say, to enjoin all the Roman Catholics, subjects of the Church, to shun their society. And to the end, that this pestilence may be more easily rooted out, you will excommunicate all the prelates, religious orders, universities, communities, counts, dukes, and potentates, the Emperor Maximilian accepted, who shall neglect to seize the said Martin Luther, and his adherents, and send them to you under proper and safe custody. And if, which God forbid, the aforesaid princes, communities, and universities, and potentates, or any who belong, belong, me, belong to them, 
shelter the said Martin and his adherents, or give them publicly or secretly, directly or indirectly, assistance and advice, we lay an interdict on these princes, communities, universities, and potentates, with their towns, boroughs, countries, and villages, as well as on the towns, boroughs, countries, and villages, where the said Martin shall take refuge, as long as he shall remain there, and three days after he shall have quitted the same. When the Pope would put a country or a place under an interdict, that means there was no marriages performed. No burying the dead performed. No removal of the garbage performed. None of the essentials necessary to the sustenance of that country were performed. It's under an interdict. And I maintain today that America is under the national judgment of God. Pardon me at the hands of the papacy. And the papacy has put some sort of an interdict on us where we can't have free energy. We can't have proper food. We can't have a real medical profession that's good for us. It's got to be cut, burned, drugged. This country is under some sort of a papal interdict, attack, counter-reformation, destruction, and it's going to continue until God raises up some Martin Luther here to preach a second reformation, to call men to repentance, and to denounce the political policies of the men in Washington, as well as the men in your particular state capital, because they're all run by the Jesuits of the Masonic Lodge. So, the Pope went after Luther when Luther just sought to merely be corrected. Well, we're going to read here now what happens. Before this letter of the Pope had yet reached Germany, and while Luther was still fearing that he should be obliged to appear at Rome, a fortunate circumstance occurred to comfort his heart. This is the providence of God now. He needed a friend unto whose bosom he could pour out his sorrows and whose faithful love should comfort him in his hours of dejection. God sent him such a friend in Melanchthon, who at the early age of 21 arrived at Wittenberg to enter upon the duties of his professorship on the 25th of August, just two days after the Pope had signed the brief institutions of Cardinal Cajetan and the letter to the Elector of Saxony. We're going to see later that is through the bravery and the courage of the Elector of Saxony that Luther will be spared. This is what you call when politicians get involved in religious issues to resist the political tyranny of the Pope. That's what we need in America. Politicians, statesmen, intervening against the political tyranny of the Pope out of Washington. That's what we need here. Because remember, the Pope runs Washington, District of Catholics, through the Jesuits of Georgetown University and Catholic University of America. Between those two military fortresses, that's how they run everything here. In addition to the Council on Foreign Relations out of New York City, the Archbishop of New York City, the Jesuits of Fordham, that's how they run this place. Remember, the, the, the Center for the Federal Reserve Bank is in Washington, D.C., under the Archbishop of D.C. That's the Board of Governors, and the most powerful Federal Reserve Banks in New York City under the Archbishop of New York City, overseen by the Jesuits of Fordham. The Federal Reserve is the Pope's bank. We're all, we're all using the Pope's indulgences for paper money. 
We, that's why I took our gold from us in 33 and our silver from us in 65. It's all enforcing the temporal power of the Pope. Now we go on. We read in section 85 here on page 452. The order for Luther's appearance at Augsburg before the Cardinal Legate at length arrived. It was now with one of the, of the princes of the Roman Church that Luther had to do. Remember, a prince of the church is a cardinal. That's why Francis Cardinal Spellman was called a prince of the church. Francis Cardinal Spellman was the American Pope. There's a book by, called The American Pope by John Cooney, written in 1988. You need to get it. It shows you Francis Cardinal Spellman ruled this country, as does the Archbishop of New York today. He's called the prince of the church. Can you read? The order for Luther's appearance at Augsburg before the Cardinal League at length arrived. All his friends besought him not to set out. They feared that a snare might be hid for him on his journey, or a design formed against his life that's called a conspiracy. A design is a conspiracy. Some set about finding a place of concealment for him, and others from different quarters gave him the most alarming information. Count Albert de Mansfeld sent him a message to abstain from setting out, because some great nobles had bound themselves by an oath to seize and strangle or drown him. But nothing could shake his resolution. Everywhere in the history of Luther and of the Reformation do we find ourselves in the presence of that intrepid, that means fearless, that intrepid spirit, that elevated morality, that boundless charity, which the first establishment of Christianity had exhibited to the world. That's right in the first century. I am like Jeremiah, said Luther, at the moment we are speaking of, a man of strife and contention. But the more they increase their threatenings, the more they multiply my joy. My wife and children are well provided for, my lands and houses and all my goods are safe. They have already torn to pieces my honor and my good name. All that I have left is my wretched body. Let them have it. Then they will shorten my life but by a few hours. But as to my soul, all caps, they shall not have that. He who resolves to bear the word of Christ to the world must expect death at every hour. Unquote. So Luther sets out to Augsburg, on foot, to see the Cardinal Legate. We read here, at the bottom of page 453, Sarah Longa offered to accompany Luther before the Legate, but the Reformer told him of the advice of his Augsburg friends to procure a safe conduct. Now, Sarah Longa is a wicked man. Sarah Longa wants to get Luther in the hands of these papal criminals to have him killed. So Luther says, no, I'm going to get a safe conduct. Beware of asking anything of the sort, replied Sarah Longa quickly. You have no need of it, whatever. The legate was well disposed toward you, and quite ready to end the affair amicably. If you ask for a safe conduct, you will spoil all. My gracious lord, the elector of Saxony, replied Luther, recommend me to several honorable men in this town. They advise me not to venture without a safe conduct. I have to follow their advice. Were I to neglect it and anything should befall me, they would write to the elector, my master, that I would not hearken to them. Unquote. Luther persisted in his resolution, and Sarah Longa was obliged to return to his employer and report to him the failure of his mission. 
at the very moment when he fancied he would be crowned with success. We're going down a little bit farther. The agents of the cardinal, who was exceedingly desirous to get Luther into his power without a safe conduct, soon renewed their importunities. Quote, the cardinal, quote, said they, quote, sends your assurances of his grace and favor. Why are you, why are you afraid? And they endeavored by every possible argument to persuade him to wait upon the legate. He is so gracious that he is like a father, said one of these emissaries. But another, going up, going close up to him, whispered, Do not believe what they say. There is no dependence to be placed upon his words. Unquote. Luther persisted in his resolution. On the morning of Monday, the 10th of October, Sarah Long again renewed the persuasions, his persuasions. The courtier had made it a point of honor to succeed in his negotiations. The moment he entered, he asked in Latin, Why do you not go to the cardinal? He is expecting you in the most indulgent frame of mind. With him, the whole question is summed up in six letters. Revoca. Retract. Come then with me. You have nothing to fear. Luther thought within himself that those were six very important letters. But without further discussion, he replied, quote, As soon as I have received the safe conduct, I will appear. Quote. Sarah Longa lost his temper. At these words, he persisted. He brought forward additional reasons for compliance, but Luther was immovable. The Italian courtier, still irritated, exclaimed, quote, You imagine, no doubt, that the elector will take up arms in your favor. Now, that's the elector of Saxony, which he will do. He'll protect Luther in the future. And risk for your sake the loss of the dominions he inherits from his ancestors. That means because the Pope can take away any dominions of any temporal lord, according to the doctrine of the temple power. Right? That's like when the Pope took away the presidency from John F. Kennedy when he killed him in 63 and gave it to that criminal, serial adulterer, Lyndon Baines Johnson, who was sworn in on the office of the presidency on a Roman Catholic missile by a Roman Catholic woman. And LBJ had his Roman Catholic concubine. Madeline Duncan Brown. And he was overseen by his Roman Catholic Lord, um, Jack Valenti in Adamalta. And LBJ's best friend would be a German Roman Catholic priest. Going on. But Luther was immovable. The Italian courtier, still irritated, exclaimed, quote, you imagine, no doubt, that the elector will take up arms in your favor and risk for your sake the loss of the dominions he inherits from his ancestors. God forbid, replied Luther, when all forsake you, asked the Italian, where will you then take refuge? Where, said Luther, smiling and looking upwards with the eye of faith, under heaven. Sarah Longa was struck dumb by this sublime and unexpected reply. He soon left the house leaped into his saddle, and visited Luther no more. So Luther gets a safe conduct. He now is going to go to Augsburg. He now is going to appear there. And as he's in Augsburg, we read on page 456, The Pope, said the legate, has authority and power over all things. Save the scriptures, replied Luther with some warmth. Save the scriptures, exclaimed Cajetan. But 
He said, do not you know that the Pope is higher than the councils? For he has recently condemned and punished the Council of Basel. After some further discussion, Luther declared in relation to one of the articles in dispute, quote, If I yield in anything there, I should be denying Christ. I cannot, therefore I will not yield that point. But by God's help, we'll hold it to the end. Quote. Cardinal Cajetan could hardly restrain his temper at this bold and decisive declaration and exclaimed with some warmth, Whether you will or will not, you must this very day retract that article, or else for the article alone, that article alone, I will proceed to reject and condemn all your doctrine. I have no will but the Lord's, boldly declared Luther. He will do with me what seemeth good in his sight. But had I a hundred heads, I would rather lose them all than retract the testimony I have borne to the holy Christian faith. <laughs> and so this is Luther, for Cajetan. And we will see how he will escape Osborne for being captured, sent to Rome, tortured and murdered by the Inquisition of Tetzel on the Point. Mary John Fells continuing on Luther before the Cardinal Legate at Oxford, which was his first real openly and political opposition to the papacy at the time with witnesses there. And so we continue on on page 457, paragraph 90. After two other interviews with the Legate, of which the first may be regarded as a specimen, Luther saw that his powerful opponent would listen to no argument from Scripture and would be satisfied with nothing short of an unconditional retraction. A rumor, moreover, reached him that if he did not retract, he was to be seized and thrown into a dungeon. And this is what the Inquisition had been doing for hundreds of years. Right? They've been doing this well since the 1200s and it's now the 1500s. They've been doing it for 300 years. It's nothing new. When the imperial counselors through the Bishop of Trent had informed the legate that Luther was under the protection of the emperor's safe conduct, he had passionately replied, quote, Be it so, but I shall do what the Pope enjoins me. Unquote. We have already seen that the Pope's orders were to secure his person, detain him in safe custody, and bring him as a prisoner to Rome. His friends advised him before the opportunity might be irrevocably lost to return from Augsburg. They knew Cajetan well enough to be satisfied that he would scruple at no means to get Luther into his power, and the lessons of Constance had taught them how little an emperor's safe conduct might avail with popish moralists to save a victim from the flames. Constance, that particular lesson of Constance was when they burned Huss at the stake. Huss had a safe conduct. The Emperor Sigismund did not honor it to protect him from the papists, the priests. And so Huss was captured, the safe conduct violated, and burnt at the stake. And so, Luther's friends did not want this to happen to him. So, page 458, paragraph 91. For these reasons, they advised Luther to seize the opportunity of returning to Wittenberg. And he followed their advice. You see, the man of God follows the advice of his advisors. In the multitude of counsel, there is safety. 
The man of God is still in charge. He's still the boss. The decisions are finally his, but he listens to his advisors and then decides. Another great example of this is George Washington. He was the head of the Continental Army, but he listened to his subordinate officers, which ultimately, in certain issues, saved the day for him. The man of God's in charge, but he listens to his counselors and hits. This is what Luther did. Reread. A horse that Staupitz had left at his disposal was brought to the door of the convent. Once more he bids adieu to his brethren. He then mounts and sets out without a bridle for his horse, without boots or spurs, unarmed and unarmed. The magistrate of the city had sent him as a guide, a horseman, who was well acquainted with the roads. This man conducts him in the dark through the silent streets of Augsburg. They direct their course to a little gate in the wall of the city. One of the counselors, Langramental, had ordered that it should be opened to him. He is still in the legate's power. The hand of Rome is still over him. Doubtless if the Italians knew that their prey was escaping, the cry of pursuit would be raised. Who knows whether the intrepid adversary of Rome may not still be seized and thrown into prison. At last, Luther and his guide arrived at the little gate. They passed through. They are out of Augsburg, and putting their horses into a gallop, they soon leave the city far behind them. Luther urged his horse and kept the poor animal at full speed. He called to mind the real or supposed flight of John Huss, the manner in which he was overtaken, and the assertion of his adversaries, who affirmed that Huss, having by his flight, annulled the emperor's safe conduct, they had a right to condemn him to the flames. However, these uneasy feelings did not long occupy Luther's mind. Having got clear from the city where he had spent ten days under the terrible hand of Rome, which had already crushed so many thousand witnesses for the truth, and shed so much blood, at large, breathing the open air, traversing the villages and plains, and wonderfully delivered by the arm of the Lord, his whole soul overflowed with praise. He might well say, quote, Our soul is escaped as a bird out of the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken, and we are delivered. Our help is in the name of God, who made heaven and earth. Thus was the heart of Luther filled with joy, but his thoughts again reverted to Devio. That's Cajetan. The cardinal, quote-unquote, thought he, would have been well pleased to get me into his power and send me to Rome. He is, no doubt, mortified that I have escaped from him. He thought he had me in his clutches at Augsburg. He thought he held me fast. But he was holding an eel by the tail. Shame that these people should set so high a price upon me. They would give many crowns to have me in their power, whilst our Savior Christ was sold for thirty pieces of silver. Unquote. Luther reached Wittenberg on the 30th of October and found on his arrival that the disappointed legate had written a letter to the elector, that's Frederick the elector, Luther's friend, breathing vengeance against the, quote, contemptible monk, unquote, that had escaped him and earnestly entreating Frederick to send him as a prisoner to Rome or at least to banish him from his territories. This is the doctrine of Pius IV the banishing of heretics from, from territories. The elector refused to deliver up Luther to the tender mercies of the Pope. That is the effect of the Bible and a godly man upon political leaders. 
and the reformer appealed from the decision of the Pope to a general council. This appeal was made at Wittenberg in the chapel of Corpus Christi on the 28th of November, 1518. All right. So Luther is commented by Dowling here in chapter 8, page 459. We, we are to remember, however, that the light burst upon Luther's mind only by degrees. Though he had attacked with all his might the book, the Bush doctrine, pardon me, of indulgences and human merits, yet he had not learned, as he afterwards did, that the anti-Christian power which originated and gave to those indulgences all their efficacy was itself a hideous usurpation, which must be struck down by the lightning of God's holy word. We read, not long afterward, the light on this subject dawned gradually on his mind. He studied the decretals of the popes, <clears throat> and the discoveries he made materially modified his ideas. He wrote to Spalatin, quote, I am reading the decretals of the pontiffs, and let me whisper in it in your ear, I know not whether the pope is Antichrist himself, or whether he is his apostle. So misrepresented, and even crucified, does Christ appear in them. So misrepresented misrepresented. So, Luther's gradually coming to the position of how horrible the papacy is, and we're going to see in the same year that Luther is going to, to uh, 1519, he's going to debate one of the foremost Roman Catholic theologians of his day, his name is Dr. Eck. And so we read, Paragraph 93 of page 460. Eck and Luther met as combatants at Leipzig. Remember, the Jesuits now control the University of Leipzig in Austria. I mean, Austria. And, or in Germany, pardon me. And the public disputation between them commenced on the 4th of July. The subject was the primacy of the Pope. The doctor, quote-unquote, said Eck, requires of me a proof that the primacy of the Church of Rome is of divine right. I find that proof in the words of Christ. Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. St. Augustine, in one of his epistles, has thus explained the meaning of the passage. Thou art Peter, and on this rock, that is to say, on Peter, I will build my church. It is true that Augustine has elsewhere said that by this rock we must understand Christ himself, but he has yet retracted his first explanation. If the reverend doctor, replied Luther, brings against me these words of St. Augustine, let him consider first reconciled, let him himself first reconcile such opposite assertions. For certain it is that St. Augustine has repeatedly said that the rock was Christ, and hardly once said it was Peter himself. But even though St. Augustine and all the fathers should say that the apostle is the rock of which Christ spake, I would, if I should stand alone, deny the assertion supported by the authority of the Holy Scripture, in other words, by divine right, for it is written, quote, other foundation can no man lay than that is laid even Christ Jesus. Peter himself calls Christ the chief cornerstone and living rock on which we are all built up a spiritual house. Luther on the 4th of July is rebutting the temporal, the spiritual power of the Pope that will ultimately cause the crash of his political power. This is why the white Anglo-Saxon Protestants and Baptists 
had our Declaration of Independence formally announced with the ringing of the Liberty Bell and proclaimed liberty throughout the land out of Deuteronomy on the 4th of July. It was in the face of the doctrine of the divine right of the King of England, King George III, who was subject to the Jesuits that he had taken them in during their suppression. And so they thought it appropriate, as Luther rebutted the divine right of the Pope on July 4th, 1519, we will rebut the divine right of King George III on July 4th, 1776. That's the reason why the bell was rang on the 4th of July, 1776. And by the way, there's a similar Liberty Bell in the capital of Harrisburg. You can go see it there at the Harris at the, the museum uh, downtown there at the Capitol. It's a beautiful little bell. I'll be going down there today, taking care of those some work. Going on. So, continuing on with Luther waging his wonderful warfare against the papacy. So now. Leo sees that Luther is a hopeless case. He cannot be killed. He cannot be taken. He's protected by Frederick the Elector. And so now Leo is going to issue a bull of excommunication against Luther. And this is what it says. In the bull of Leo against Luther, he thus invokes the prince of the apostles. Quote, Arise, O Peter! Remember thy holy Roman church, mother of all the churches, and mistress of the faith. Arise, O Paul, for a new porphyry is here, attacking thy doctrines and the holy popes, our predecessors. Finally arise, O assembly of all the saints, holy church of God, and intercede for us with God Almighty. Unquote. Quote, as soon as this bull should be published, continues the pope, the bishops are to search diligently for the writings of Martin Luther in which these errors are contained and to burn them publicly and solemnly in the presence of the clergy and the laity. It's like the Nazis had their book burning because the Nazis and the SS were Roman Catholics. Same church, same papacy, same doctrine, but different centuries. Going on. As to Martin himself, what is there in the name of heaven that we have not done? Limiting the goodness of God Almighty, we are ready, notwithstanding, to receive him again into the bosom of the church, and we allow him sixty days to forward to us his recantation in writing, attested by two prelates, or rather, which would be more satisfactory, to present himself before us in Rome, yeah, so we can kill him, to present himself before us in Rome, that none may any more doubt his obedience." In the meantime, he must from this moment cease preaching, teaching, and writing, and commit his works to the flames. And if he do not recant within the space of sixty days, we, by these presents, sentence himself and his adherents as open and contumacious heretics. That's the end of the bull. How do you like that? And now, would you believe that the Lutheran Church is at peace with the papacy and a member of its National Council and World Council of Churches? True, it's the Jesuits and their papacy bringing all these Hispanic, alien, Roman Catholic invaders here, but do you know they're aided by the Lutheran Church, too? Full of Freemasonry? 
going on. Luther quailed not before these papal thunders, which for centuries had made the mightiest monarchs tremble on their thrones. On the 6th of October, he published his famous tract on the Babylonian captivity of the church. He commences this work by ironically stating all the advantages for which he is indebted to his enemies. Quote, whether I will or no, says he, I learn more and more every day urged on as I am by so many celebrated masters. Two years ago, I attacked indulgences. That's in 15, what, 17. This is 1519. Two years ago, I attacked indulgences, but with such faltering indecision that I am now ashamed of it. It, however, is not to be wondered at, for then I had to roll forward the rock by myself. He then returns thanks to Dr. Eck and to his other emissaries. I denied, he continues, that the papacy was from God, but admitted that it stood by human right. But now, after having read all the subtleties on which these worthies set up their idol, I know that papacy is nothing but the reign of Babylon and the violence of the mighty hunter Nimrod. I therefore request all my friends and all booksellers that they will burn the books I have before written on this subject and in their stead substitute this single proposition, quote, the papacy is a general chase led by the Bishop of Rome and having for its object the snaring and ruining of souls, unquote. That's right. And a couple centuries later, there was a man by the name of Alexander Hislop, an Englishman, who wrote a series of articles and ultimately put in a book titled The Two Babylons concerning the papacy and Nimrod and the worship of Semiramis being identical. It's the same religion. The Two Babylons. You must get it for your library. <laughs> and right next to that you must give, to get Dave Hunt's great work A Woman Rides the Beast with those books the Papacy's Babylon it's not Christian, never has been Christian never will be Christian it hates us Bible believers they burn our Bibles, they kill us they destroy our governments by any means necessary all spearheaded by the counter-reformation military order the Society of Jesus that had not come into existence yet while Luther was alive.